yeah. don't know if that math works out, but it's not good. Hello and welcome to another episode of Geek Chew Podcast, where we chew over the geeky things that we love. I'm Eamon. And I'm Charlene. And our intro music is by my brother, Ryan. It's book club week. Yay, finally! 10th of December by George Saunders. And I think we're mildly excited to talk about it. Yeah, (laughs) I really enjoyed it. I really did. I think you liked it more than I did, but we'll get into that. I just made a frowny face. In a bit. (laughs) For those at home. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, we were going to talk about some other stuff before we got to the book club, just what we did in our spare time this week, which was minimal, but, uh, DC fandom was yesterday. Just another one of those things where companies are trying to find ways to replace the venue that Comic-Con usually offers them, right? To yeah. kind of make announcements and debut trailers and, and whatever. Have so their this, panels. And- right. Yeah. The DC fandom thing was just streamed from their, from a website, dcfandom.com. And they had a whole schedule laid, and I think it's a two-part thing. Yesterday was part one, and they have a whole schedule laid out for panels and yeah. The viewing experience wasn't really something that I was into. No, yeah, it kicked off with the Wonder Woman eighty-four panel, which I was super excited about. Out of all the things, right? And we made it about three minutes in, and decided that that was not for us. Not only was like the buffering very difficult to deal with, I think just the the whole thing just seemed super awkward. It did, yeah. It's like any other Zoom call, I guess, right? Right. Um, Only this was like fancy Zoom call. And no seance. So, <laughs> Stop. But we waited a few hours and the trailer obviously posted on YouTube, the new Wonder Woman 84 trailer where we actually get to see Cheetah and, you know, just a, a little bit more footage from the film, which is now slated for release in October, I think. So exciting. It was supposed to come out in May, right? June. June, June 6th. It was supposed to come out the weekend of Courtney's birthday. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Still looks good. I'm still excited. I know. I'm really excited, but October's, I guess, just around the Yeah, corner. I guess it's not too far. It's like, when in October? I don't know. I don't remember. Jake keeps track of those things for me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I should call him out here. But uh, new trailer looked good. And then they also posted a behind-the-scenes video for the new Suicide Squad movie entitled The Suicide Squad. Yes, very original title. Yes. As opposed to just regular Suicide Squad. This one does look better, actually. Yeah, Um, I'm excited. So the thumb makes a big difference. Yeah. (laughs) I am excited for it. I didn't didn't hate the first one. Um, Maybe we should watch it again. Like, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't like, it wasn't so memorable that I'm like, oh, I really love that movie. But I didn't walk away from it being like, that was crap. Yeah. I thought it was fun. I I remember thinking there were some things that were funny and then like the ending overall wasn't super satisfying, but. So the new one is, I think written and directed by James Gunn for, of, uh, I mean, I know he's done other stuff, but really he's of guardians of the galaxy fame, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. And then, and that's it. It's got, yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, and the other stuff, uh, it's got King shark, which, you know, wouldn't really have cared. I wouldn't have started watching the Harley Quinn cartoon, but now it's, and I know it's not Ron Funches, but still. 
<laughs> and John Cena as what is he called? The protector? I don't know what he's called. But Douche, douchey Captain America is the so way it's described in the, yeah. in the behind the scenes stuff. It's really cool. Uh, I'm sure that it's like just a two minute clip that you can that you can find on Twitter, I guess. I don't know. That's where I find all my stuff. So, or I just Google it and look for a YouTube clip. But I just let you do the legwork on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Appreciate it. And really, I mean, the big news was, and I didn't even try to sit through the panel, but there was a panel for the Batman and they released a trailer for the Batman movie, which is not slated to come out now until October of 2021. But they were able to take the, I think, 25% of the movie that they filmed before they were shut down for COVID and kind of spin that into the trailer that they had for the DC fandom. And man, it looks pretty good. Right. Um, it looks pretty awesome. Now I love Batman, but you know that I'm just way more excited about Wonder Woman and seeing Wonder Woman. So for you to say like the big thing out of this weekend was the Batman, you're just wrong. Okay. (laughs) The thing is we already had the Wonder Woman trailers. This was just another trailer, right? I guess. So this was the first trailer for the Batman with Robert Pattinson by directed by Matt Reeves and I don't know. There's lots happening in the trailer. And if they film 25% of it, that's pretty good. Right. Um, you know what else? Um, the Snyder cut. That's right. They did release the, the Snyder cut, like a, a trailer, trailer for, for the it. Snyder cut, which is also not coming out until 21, 2021. Which on is HBO so Max. weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but uh, I don't know. The Batman trailer is super exciting. They've got the Riddler. They've got Catwoman, Penguin. I didn't even recognize Colin Farrell. He's in the trailer. I didn't see him. But I'm super excited for this movie. It's yeah, year two Batman. It's more of like a detective story. And you can kind of get a little bit of a feeling for how it's different in from the more recent portrayals of him. Because he's like walking into a crime scene with a bunch of cops around talking with Jim Gordon. Which is a lot different, I think, than right. uh, a lot of the more recent portrayals. But also, I don't know, you get a good look at the Batmobile, which is kind of a mix between the 89 Batmobile and the one from 1966 TV show because it looks more like a car, but it's also got flame shooting up the back. I don't know. I thought it was cool. (laughs) The fight scene is really awesome. And I don't know. They even do like the black makeup around his eyes when he doesn't have the cowl on. They show that it's still there when he takes the cowl off, which was always something that they've avoided in the past, especially in Batman Returns with Michael Keaton, where he's talking to Catwoman at the end. And all of a sudden, he's got the cowl on with no black makeup around the eyes. Yeah. And he rips it off so that his face doesn't have the black makeup. I don't know. This is just funny. <laughs> um, and he did look a little bit like the crow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all it's all good for me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm super excited about that. And anything else that comes out in the future will be a big deal to me personally. Yes, it is a big deal. I'm very excited. I just, <laughs> yes. I just wanted to needle you a little bit. So we also got to check out the Nosferatu TV show that we talked about a little bit last week because we were trying to figure out where we might be able to watch it. Right. Where did it originally drop to? Well, I think it's an AMC show. Yes. So we, now that I say that out loud, yeah, probably could have watched is. it on the AMC app. But Yeah, but I feel like when I tried to watch it on the AMC app at one point, like I had to watch it on Shudder. So that's why I thought it was on Shudder. But now right. it's not on Shudder. Right. It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Which, whatever, we have all those things now. So right. <laughs> I guess it doesn't really matter, but that's where we watched it was on Hulu. And I I really enjoyed the first two episodes that we watched. Yeah, we've watched two. I did enjoy them. Um, overall, I think 
the show is just okay. I don't know if that's because the book is just really great. I like, I loved that book a lot. It was such a good story. It was really cool. Like part mystery and part horror story. You know, I think that the show kind of started out slowly maybe and doesn't do like a super great job introducing some of the characters, but overall it's like a story I really, really love. Yeah. I think you would definitely like the show better if you hadn't what if you hadn't read the book because I'm enjoying the show, I think maybe even more than you are. And I think it's probably a a byproduct of, it's just a whole lot easier to build the world that you want to see when you're reading the book and the book is the source material and it's super fun while you're reading it. And that's your idea of, you know, that world and to adapt it to whatever TV movies doesn't always, um, or rarely works seamlessly and really requires quite a few changes a lot of the time. And so I'm enjoying the TV show. Uh, I know you're not saying you're not enjoying it, but you just really love the book. Right. And there, I mean, yeah, there are definitely things where, I don't know, just changes that are, that I'm like, ah, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So, but ultimately like I'm, I'm invested and want to keep going with that. But yeah. So now I don't know if I should read the Dune book. (laughs) (laughs) maybe not um but if you here's the thing if you watch the movie it's probably unlikely that you will go back to read the book it's no i don't think that's long yes luckily i have so much time (laughs) uh i think the audiobook's like 21 and some change hours we did also get the chance to watch the first episode of lovecraft country i am totally on board with this i love it so much i'm super excited the next episode is airing tonight but it's on hbo i think we talked about a little bit last week as well the showrunner is misha green and executive producers jj abrams jordan peele and the first episode is just i think it's everything that i could have hoped for going into it without any expectations except that some weird stuff was going to happen because we don't really know hp lovecraft i know that it's kind of sci-fi slash horror slash mystery but we've never read any of those stories right Uh, and i actually don't feel bad about not reading any hp lovecraft now knowing that he was like a super duper racist (laughs) which they bring up like that's something that definitely comes up in the show because you know the main character or one of the main characters that the story follows is tick or Atticus and you know, he's very well read and like his, a lot of his favorite stuff is HP Lovecraft stuff. Yeah. And I didn't know that the show was based on a book, um, Matt Ruff's novel Lovecraft country. Right. I didn't either. But the first episode is really strong. Jonathan majors who plays tech, like you mentioned and journey Smollett plays, uh, Letitia, Letitia. Letty, Letty. Yeah, that's right. And Courtney B. Vance as Tick's uncle, uncle, Uncle George. Yeah. And they're traveling from Chicago to Massachusetts in search of Tick's dad. And he's left some kind of this vague note about this legacy that belongs to him and whatever. But just from the start, the episode really grabs you with this. It's a cool I don't, I don't know how to, yeah, I don't know how to describe the scene well it's a it's a dream sequence right so right. but we don't know that going into it it's you yeah know, it starts in 1950s in the trench, war the korean, korean war. war um and then like all the weird 
SF stuff, sci-fi stuff. Yeah, it's a weird mix of like sci-fi aliens and Lovecraftian creatures, and it's a real attention grabber, right? Uh, to open to open the episode and to kind of introduce the main character that you're going to follow through the story, and and then the show, I, I think, really just takes off from there. Like, I think it's obviously just kind of a tip of the iceberg as far as kind of the weird stuff that the show is going to get into. Right. I'm so excited because yeah. there are like all these little like clues, I guess, or little things that are happening that are a little strange, like here, there, and then like shit gets real strange. And like there are like vampires, but they're not like regular vampires, <laughs> but like it's just um, it's really fun. I'm really excited um, to watch this week to week. Yeah. And it's just really well done. There's, this anachronistic element to the music that's playing in the background and, or at least for at least one of the scenes. Right. And then there's this James Baldwin speech in the background as, as, as they're traveling across the country, the, the speech is really, which I'm pretty proud. Of. I got that one, by the way, I was correct. That was James Baldwin <laughs> uh, while we were watching it. I wasn't sure because it's not really like, I'm not an expert in speeches about racism across, <laughs> across history. But uh, yeah, nailed that one. It was really powerful as, you know, he's talking about perceived reality and the injustice of racial inequality and what the American dream means to some people versus how it's unattainable for other people while it's demonstrating all that stuff on screen while they're traveling across Jim Crow America. And I don't know. One they're of the- not even in Jim Crow America because they're in the North. Yeah. At the beginning of the movie, he leaves Jim Crow south that's like, true yeah so, so deuces, you know, yeah well so we thought yeah and one of the most i think intense scenes of the whole show was that 25 mile per hour kind of car chase i guess you would call it yeah when they run into the sheriff who tells them they need to be out of the county before sundown and they only have you know six so minutes far, so far, yeah six minutes to get out of the county and i don't know it was just all I think really well done, but I don't know. Did you have anything else for Lovecraft? After no, we'll but just I'm just really excited keep about watching it. And be excited about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what else? We before we get to the book, we did watch a really good documentary this week called Boys State. It was really good. The first few minutes um, of it, I sort of thought, I don't know why I'm watching this. It's just going to piss me off. Um, but then it turned out to be different than what the first few minutes was following, and. Um, and I really, really liked it. Um, it sort of left me like feeling hopeful, but also maybe a little disillusioned, you know? Definitely. I mean, you can't really, I think any documentary about politics is probably going to be pretty disillusioning, right? So it's available on Apple TV plus directed by Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. And the premise is they, they pick these kids to follow through this experience of uh, boys state, which Texas is Texas boys state. Do they right. do this in every state? I not every state, but uh, my impression is that they do it in several other states. Mm-hmm. And it follows 17-year-old boys, in this case in Texas, who gather together to build a representative government from the ground up in like five days, right? Right, but it mostly is about the election process. But the filmmakers did a really good job, I think, picking up the boys that they were going to follow through this experience for the documentary. Yeah. And I don't know, you really get kind of a hermetic view of the divisive nature of politics and uh, a good look at the maturity or lack thereof of the kids who are going through this, through this program. And it really is just that like at, at points you're really impressed by these kids and at different points you're like, 
well, these are 17 year old kids growing up in Texas who were kind of formed by the influences, uh, you know, that you would assume are prevalent in kind of a, a red state like that. I was really um, invested like in the whole process. And I don't know. I mean, all, the kids that they followed were, were obviously very smart. I don't know. I think one of the things that like really stood out to me was the one kid who was like kind of, kind of a jerk. Like, I don't know. Um, Robert McDougal. No, actually no. Like I, I ultimately ended up liking him, but Ben, Ben Feinstein. So like, I mean, he's an amputee and he's got like, um, something going on with his arm that's had several surgeries and, but like, like his stance is that he's like overcome so much and, and yes, he has from a physical standpoint, but like clearly like when they're in his house and, and in his home talking to him, like you see that he's coming from a background of like clearly a lot of money and money really is like the great equalizer in this country. You know what I mean? Like if you have money to get what you need for your education, that's going to set you up better um, this kid is like on the, whatever, more on the conservative side. And he like kind of plays dirty politics and this, and, and that just kind of bothered me. Cause I'm like this, this kid, like, yeah, he like really believes that he in, in, in the things that he, that he stands for, like his political stances, but like, I don't know. It, it just was very frustrating. Um, I did notice one thing was the, the two, the, so Ben Feinstein and this Rob McDougal that you just mentioned, like they both were interviewed in their homes and like the other two kids that were kind of more talked to um, were not. So like that was just interesting to me. And like, were they not available? Was it just a, like what, like clearly the two that didn't, the, the one kid Renee who um, was a victim of like a racist attack on their social media stuff that was going on. And, and then the other kid, Steven Garza, who's probably like my, my favorite kid in the whole world now that doesn't, you know, genetically belong to us. Um, he, uh, they obviously come from like a different background than these other two kids that they interviewed in their home. It was just interesting. And like, why was that left out? And, um, but it was definitely a good watch. Yeah. I wonder if they started at like the American Legion interviews and kind of tried to pick people from there first. And then also as the process went on, picked up more kids that they thought would be successful there or did that they just found interesting? Well, I mean, from what you, like you would think that this kid, Steven, he was quite an underdog, right? Um, So what was the process that got him followed in like as a, I'd say like probably the, the main focus of this documentary. Yeah. Cause more they, did, than the they other did pick kids. him up like right when he was getting on the bus to go there. But yeah. I don't know. I guess we'll never know like the intricacies of how they built the documentary, but it was just, it was really good though. Um, and it's interesting that they, and I think that ultimately the, the concept and the, the practice of doing this boys state thing. And I guess they do a girls state as well. Um, is really good. Yeah, but that's all I really have on Boy State. Did you have anything else? No, I, I, that's all I had, too. So we'll move on to 10th of December by George Saunders. Yes, which you picked. 
Right. Oh, I forgot. We already had this conversation once and got interrupted by the dogs. <laughs> so this one's my fault. Yes. Well, no, I liked it a lot. <laughs> yes. This is not a fault. Like, I really enjoyed this and was like hoping. Y- now I'm like, oh, I really should be reading more short stories. There were things about it that I really did like. I don't know if I need to drastically increase my intake of short stories. Right. So, I mean, I'd say the main difference between reading like these short stories versus a novel is a novel has like beginning, middle, end. There's like a whole journey for the story for typically like a character or two, right? And then these short stories, you don't really have that. It's more of um, a snapshot, right? Yeah. Of- I mean, it's mostly of an incident or a certain slice of an individual or a group of people's lives, and it doesn't necessarily follow that narrative structure. Correct. Or not necessarily, but in these ones, it does not follow that at all, right? Well, I, I don't mean, know. I mean, I feel like 10th of December kind of kind of does. Maybe. Uh, you really like the, the 10th of December short story. It was the longest one. No, that's probably not true. It was the titular story for the book and one that I ultimately kind of got a hold of as far as what was happening, but even by the end did not really enjoy. But I mean, we can get into that, I guess, in a little bit. But yeah. So what we did was we each kind of picked three stories from the book. How many were there? Maybe 10. There were 10. There were 10. Yeah. But these three affected me most, Yeah, I think, like, or like just stuck with me. And then of the three that I picked, we each had, or we had one that overlapped. And I don't know if, what kind of order we want to go and we can just either start with the one that overlapped or we can kind of go back and forth. Um, we can just, I mean, uh, let's just go in the order that they appear in the book. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. So these, these stories were published in various places from 1995 to 2012. And I think the book came out in 2014, but the first short story in the book is called victory lap. And that was my first choice for a couple different reasons. I think really the trouble that, I had getting into the book that we had kind of discussed already, even on the podcast is obviously exemplified in this first story because it's the first story. And it was what really stopped me from being like, wow, this is really good so far already. But it's like (laughs) that point of view that runs through basically all these stories. And it's this really interesting stream of thought, uh, you know, for the person that you're experiencing the story through and it's realistic, but wild and difficult to follow. And it's full of all these fleeting thoughts, which can be really effective, I think. But I, I also kind of get a little tired of it, especially in story after story. Well, I think maybe that's why th- they should be kind of like consumed each one in one go. And then you like take right. a little break and then. But it can even serve as like a barrier to entry, right? Because I, I guess, was like, oh, yeah. well, this is... um not easy so far. And I guess maybe I'm just well, maybe it's opposed just not, to a hard, hard work of <laughs> Well, it could also just be that it's not a medium that's for you, you know, like yeah. it, and that's completely valid. Um, I'm drawn to the short story because I do get that whole, an entire piece in one go, you know, where like really I can get like all of it. And then, and that, and then, you know, that's like the complete thought process and, um, and I can like kind of chew over that and, and think about it. And, but I mean, I just have always kind of liked short stories. Like, um, I've, I've been reading them since I was in college and, you know, doing assignments or, you know, 
one of my professors in particular, like we did a lot of work reading short stories and then writing our papers on them. So I think maybe it's also just something that I'm used to getting more than you are. I, I mean, getting, I mean, like being put in front of me as opposed to like understandability. Yeah. I mean, the, the first story is about, uh, basically the witnessing of an abduction of a, a teenage girl it is kind of approached from these three different point of views, the girl, the uh, neighbor across the street, and then also the, the abductor. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I really did enjoy this story and the suspense was really ratcheted up slowly as you're kind of realizing what's going on listening to each character as they deal with the events unfolding in front of them. And you don't really know how each one's going to react and what they're going to do in the face of this situation. And if they'll do the right thing, because the guy, the other neighbor, who's the teenage boy who you're kind of relying on in the story to do the right thing and to intervene really doesn't seem like he's going to until right up until the moment where he, he does. Right. And it was suspenseful up to that point, And then, it kind of ratcheted up from there when you weren't really sure what was going to happen when you did decide to interview, when you grabbed the geode and like sprinted across whatever, you know, right. I, I thought it was really, I thought it was really well done overall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I really liked it too. And I like it kind of plays with like the, with perspective and like reliable narrator type stuff, which I think you kind of get with all of these stories, you know, cause they all do have point of view and, yeah. I mean, I, I liked them. Honestly, I liked them all. So it was hard for me to like, just pick the three to talk about. Um, yeah. What was the one that you, the first one that you picked in order? Puppy. So that was, that would be the next one. Yeah. So this was like really sad. It was, it was super heartbreaking. It was difficult for me to understand what was happening again, because they do this thing where they switch between the point of view without really being explicit about it. Right. Right. But I was able to follow it. And it was really, um, like you said, just sad. It was a sad story. <laughs> right. It was, it was just so sad. And like just these mothers and how they love their children and how like, I mean, I think the picture of both of these mothers, neither of them is very good. Right. Um, but then like, I don't know, like how society views one versus the other. And like, uh, and I, I don't know, like it's, it's just really super heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And then the puppy. <laughs> <laughs> right. You hate to see it. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, that one it just really stuck with me because, you know, these, both of these moms, like think that they're doing best, what's best for their children because they love their children and they don't want to, um, they want, they want to do what they think is most right. And like how sometimes off yeah. that is from like the reality of what's right with for, for treating human beings like it was just so yeah so that one really that one really hit me like hard you know and also like just the judgmental nature of people and myself in general too like i mean obviously like this one woman tying her child up in her yard is absolutely wrong but like it's about motivation right i don't know it's, yeah, it was it's just crazy it made me really that. she yeah. doesn't she doesn't understand how that might be perceived by the outside world or this person who's coming to pick up this puppy. Right. And it's, uh, I think the author talks about it kind of not specifically the story, but at, at the back of the book, there's an interview between him and David Sedaris. And he kind of talks about 
where he starts with a character and it's basically like the character is me and what's important to me as a person in this world is love and, and what happens to that person when a certain kind of pressure is applied and how are they going to react and how do the characters of my stories react to the cruelty of the world? Mm -hmm. And I think that's really where the power of these stories probably comes from. When I think back on the 10 stories that we read and how he views or deals with the cruelty of the world and how he thinks like, I guess a big criticism of his stories is how cruel they all seem. And he's like, well, I, I don't really see them as more cruel than what's actually going on in the real, real world. Like actually they're a lot less cruel than everything that's going on <laughs> out there. And you know, yeah. these things that I'm putting on paper are dulled down versions of, of, of reality. Of reality. Yeah. It's just, it's just, that one just made me really think. Yeah. Like it just, it, it still makes me think like, and, and I go back to it in my head and, uh, I think the next one we both picked. The Sepulchre Girl Diaries? Yeah. This was a fucked up story. It was. It was a little... Um, I mean, like, they were all fucked there. up, right? But, like, this one for me, like, it was just like, what the fuck? So, yeah. I mean, the format of the story is different because it's... This guy has decided to keep a journal. Right. And it's all kind of staccato entries thoughts and what happened this day and not full sentences a lot of the times just kind of like what you do if you were jotting things down in a journal right which got old for me pretty quickly and by the end i was very invested in what was happening in the story and the characters in this guy's life but also did not want to read any more of this style <laughs> that's funny because it didn't bother me at all <laughs> i don't know yeah. just because well, it felt like i was like reading like some of it, I was like, Ooh, maybe this is even more than like a, a normal person would put in their journal because the, because Saunders is like giving us more than, you know. Yeah. Have you ever heard David Sedaris read from his journal? It's insane. It's like <laughs> short stories for his day. It's crazy how much he puts in his journal. Um, I've tried to keep a journal probably for about 60% of the last year with success of about, um, I don't know, 0.06%. <laughs> like three entries. I don't know. I yeah. don't know if that math works out, but it's not good. Yeah. Um, I often try to keep a journal and go back to it. And then it's just a whole lot of nothing. But the author of this particular journal, I don't really remember if his name comes up in the, um, I don't know in the story. I don't think it does. I mean, he obviously refers by name to all the people around him, his wife, Pam and his kids and basically everybody else in the story. But again, it does follow him in these kind of flights of whimsy as he's thinking about the future or the past or, you know, what he wishes as far as wealth and status or what he wishes that he had the wealth in order to um, provide more things for his right. kids. And, and like why in his decision making and like why he makes the choices that he makes. And yeah. Yeah. And then as the story plays out, I mean, obviously he's he's kind of, I guess, a middle class guy. Lower middle the, class. Lower yeah. middle class. and Struggling, obviously, paycheck to paycheck. And yeah, and they get this kind of break where they get the opportunity or where they win their scratch-off ticket and get this big sum of money. And as soon as that happens, I'm just waiting for the part where something goes wrong. Right. And uh, it goes on for a while before that happens, but <laughs> it's yeah. very suspenseful. It you is. Know, again. It's suspenseful. I love the the little 
drops the little clues that like before you figure out what what is the like symbol of, of wealth and prosperity and yeah. and status in this world that they're living in and like how horrible and like sick and just like disgusting it is. Um, yeah. And it's just constantly refers to like, Oh, they have all these SGs and there's these white flowing robes hanging from this thing. And that like uh, you, when, when I was reading it, you had already read it and I said, you know, it's taken me a while to figure this out, but I, I mean, I, I can't think it means anything but slave girls. And that wasn't technically, I guess, what it stood for. It means Sepulchre Girls because I didn't. I had a lot of trouble remembering the titles of the, the stories as I would move into them. from Because uh-huh. usually it's chapter to chapter that we're reading a book. And I'm not really paying attention to the chapter headers. It's usually either just like One, two, unimportant or a number or whatever. But basically what it amounts to is they're slave girls, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Sold into... Sold into slavery and as decoration, but they're not like, I mean, in this world, they volunteer. Yes. That, that is, that is the justification that they, they kind of provide throughout the story. When somebody questions the morality of having these girls that are the Semplica procedure or whatever it's called that they're strung up by where they're still alive. They still need just like swinging from their fucking brains. Like it's so (laughs) crazy. The layers of like societal truth in this story and like decision making and like this guy and like we've been there, right? Like where we've made a financial decision like when we were young and like we had like a good reason for that. And then ultimately we look back and we think, wow, we probably should have done this instead, yeah, right? It's I think, super relatable. Yeah. On I think, that level. I think everybody <laughs> has done that. Um, but I think also that like mirrors how people make decisions on how they treat other people yeah, and how, how you they, justify things. how you justify everything in your life. Right. Um, or in the world. And it's just kind of like really scary and really honest. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, last week we talked about project power and Jamie Foxx and how we couldn't really think of anything else we had seen him in, but we'd definitely seen him in a lot of movies and we liked him in whatever he was in. And then, you know, a day later we watched Django Unchained because you had never seen it. Mm-hmm. And the combination of watching Django Unchained and reading the story and I'm like, you know, I'm a very empathetic person, but I wonder what my reaction would be if I lived back in America in the time of slavery. Like, would I be one of these persons standing up and shaking my fist and saying how wrong this, I mean, I certainly wouldn't own any slave. I don't, I mean... You know, you can never. You don't know. You it's don't just know. It's impossible to say. Like, what is, what is the strength that you would have in the face of that kind of? Uh, but that's also determined by like the society and the town that you live in, and like, and just so, and. So, what's morally acceptable for that uh, time and those people is, but really, but I mean, the I guess acceptance it's a, of that morality, sure. But right. you know that that's not a moral thing. And would you be able to stand up to that? and Like the like, daughter, like, right. Like Eva, yeah. And do what you think is right, even as a, I don't know, she's seven or eight, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I mean, there's no way to know. I mean, you hope that you would, and you hope that we do everything now, I think, as fairly progressive people, and, like, wanting everyone in our world to have, like, a, a fair shot at a life. And that's the way the story kind of ends up, right? Like, 
they go through and they're constantly trying to justify their actions with these girls. And then at the end, it's like, well, they also had these things at home. Like they're not saved from some life of misery. They're sold into slavery. They're not. Yeah. Maybe they can send some money back to their families, but that's not really like, there's no justification no matter what was wrong with their lives from before to, to sell them into slavery. Yeah. I, it just, it, yeah. So crazy. I think mine would be the next story as far as order in the book, the uh, story, my chivalric fiasco, which I only really picked. See, it's funny. Cause I think it's chivalric, but <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a dork. Uh, I can say it like that if you want. No, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, like, just, I mean, it's not right, but you know. <laughs> mine just sounds fancier. Does it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I found this story interesting because, I mean, it kind of doubles down on an early, earlier story in the book, uh, Escape from Spiderhead, where they right. also got these kind of uh, trademarked or branded drugs that either induce a feeling or induce, I guess in this case, like fictional characteristics of a historical type or I don't want to say genre because I mean, well, he's, yeah, it just gets him into character. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story starts with basically, I think a sexual assault between an employer and an employee that this guy witnesses. And like, as the story progresses, they all kind of come to this understanding that she's not going to say anything. And the witness, the POV guy for the story is going to kind of let it go. But, and they get promotions and bribes and he takes this, uh, I don't even remember what the pill was called, but it's basically something that makes him feel like he's a knight to fill this role mm-hmm. in this, I don't know, medieval times place that he works yeah, at. Yeah, it seems like it's a medieval times restaurant, right? Yeah. And and his mind is kind of transformed into, this, into the state of a, a knight who's all about chivalry and doing what's right and following your heart and doing what's right for these people, even if they don't know what's good or what's best for themselves and... Uh, he just kind of gets himself into this situation whereas where he tries to do what's right, even though he had previously decided to kind of take the promotion, take the bribe, take care of his family with the additional money he's going to get. And even the woman asked him yeah, not to say anything. Right. And then as the drug is kind of wearing off, he's kind of like, well, that was kind of dumb, but also I'm going to tarry here on this pier wherever he was at and watch mm-hmm. this beautiful sunset so he's as he's coming down off of this high or whatever you want to call it he's uh he's kind of realizing what he's done and those feelings of chivalry and nobility are fading away and and again it's a short story so that's just kind of where it stops right and then um, like he understands the real life consequence consequences right yeah but like in this case then there's that other like you like you're weighing out like what is actually the right thing to do like even though this woman who was assaulted says no no don't say anything like is it is it right to just let it go when you know that this is something wrong like just because she asked you and like like it's up to her but is is it up to her like i mean because now this man is you know in a position where he can assault someone else and like ugh, it's it's such a yeah, they're all very complex, um, sort of, right? I mean, no, they are complex. Yeah. Um, and I'll just leave it at that. Because, that, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because who's, even for me, like, on one side, I want to say, like, he definitely does the right thing. And, like, he's he's taking this pill that makes him the hero. So he's doing whatever the most heroic action is, right? But at the same time, like, it is it his business? It's this woman's business. But also, maybe 
she's in a position where she feels like she can't say anything. So I, I don't know. Like it's, it's very complicated and it was, that's a difficult story. And I think they're all difficult stories, but, yeah. um, yeah, the, the escape from spider head story was also very interesting, but I thought a little less accessible, yeah. um, than this one that kind of mirrored that, that experience. So, uh, those were, those are the three that I picked. And like I said, I, I did enjoy the book overall. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one is, is yours. 10th of December, which is the last story. And obviously the titular story. I don't know why this one stuck with me so much, except for that, like maybe this little kid who's an outcast and he just lives in this imaginary world kind of reminded me of me as a kid, only like maybe not to, to an extreme, you know, as is in the story, but like just sort of like creating a world for yourself and then like misunderstand misreading a situation and then he gets himself in trouble. And yeah, I, I don't know. Again, it was one of those things where I had, maybe it's also the way the Kindle is set up that I had trouble identifying when the point of view switched to somebody else. Right. Because if you just kind of like move to another page and there's the break in the text that you can't really tell is a break. It's so funny to me because I didn't have that issue because I feel like um, each character kind of had their own voice when they were, you know, speaking, so to speak. So that just wasn't that difficult for me to, to delineate. So, and let me get this right in my head. And I had a basic idea of what was happening by the end of this particular story. But the, the description of the story was that this veteran who I guess. He has a terminal illness. Well, I guess had recovered from a terminal illness though, right? Like he had the scar, he had gone through chemo. I think um, he wasn't he finished. Gone into maybe, uh, he had gone into the woods to commit suicide. Yes. Because he didn't want to be a drain on his family's life anymore. Right. And then there was this other kid who I'm not entirely clear how he wound up. He was just playing out this fantasy in his head. Yeah. He's that- sort of just playing out like, um, he's got a crush on a girl. He's wants to be, some sort of hero that he has imagined in his mind. He's created a character of himself. So he's, he's just being, a, he's playing. Yes. Like, he's a kid that's out something that and I don't, playing. <laughs> I don't identify with anymore. I used to, I swear. <laughs> but Okay. And, and then they kind of save each other sort of in a way, you know, the old yes. guy saves the young kid from freezing to death. The young kid goes saves back, the old man from freezing to death. Yeah. yeah. And, and then what? And then it's over. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, um, you know, he decides that he has a reason to live, the old man, yeah. and then they, the young man, I don't know, So maybe feels like he was, did some, I, I feel like this was like the most hopeful story of all of them. You I know? can see that, for sure. Um, where the characters didn't end up in like a shitty place, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, maybe I had uh, a little bit of trouble focusing it in the first part of the story because we were also watching that Netflix or the movie on Netflix with Paul Rudd and Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. And, How do you and know? so, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which was good. It was great. Yeah. Also Jack Nicholson. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> Owen Wilson. It was, it was actually really good. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, even though it was super goofy. Yeah. I loved it. I've been wanting to watch it for a while. So maybe anyway. I was just a little distracted and that's why I had uh, a little bit of extra trouble orienting myself within the story. Yeah. He's out playing um, in the woods, yeah. the snow, everything's white. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was 
an experience. I that I'm open. I'm open to more collections of short stories. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not. Um, maybe by a different author, and we can see what happens from there. But once I got used to the four men style, I think I I had a little bit of an easier time, and uh, it was not unenjoyable. It was just a little more work than reading a novel, right? Yeah. Uh, did you have anything else for tenth of December? Um, no. I just, um, I really enjoyed the whole thing. I, I really did. Yeah. I thought it was great. So maybe over the next week we can come up with our next book club book. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll make a short list and let you pick, or do you want to make a short list and I'll pick, or I guess we can discuss we that can, at a later yeah, time. We can merge our, yeah. merge our list and pick from the greater list. I don't know. It doesn't matter. <laughs> But we'll come up with Usually something. Usually you get a long list and then like make that a short list. But now and we're saying. And then pick something saying, completely different. Yeah. <laughs> but you're saying we should each have a short list and make a long list and then pick from that. Yeah. So it's a little backwards. That's the ticket. Yeah. So <laughs> we're going to wrap it up though. Uh, podcast is available on uh, iTunes. And we have a website, geekchew.com, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff. And that'll do it. Right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Uh, It was fun. It was smart. We liked it.